Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Sometimes when the Lord gives you a word, your spirit gets really excited. And uh, lately, what I've been finding is um, the Lord will just give me a little spark or a little thought, thought starter, right? And uh, it'll get me going in a particular direction. Well, sometimes my thought starters come from social media. When someone puts something up that you go, well, that's not right, you know, (laughs) and then your spirit gets all stirred up and you go, hmm, don't like that. And then out of that thought process comes a whole string of thoughts, right? Well, someone put something, I'm not going to say what it was um, because I don't want to get anyone into trouble. But it stirred me up to the point where I was like, hmm, I don't like that. You know, <laughs> typical like, Argh. And I started thinking about it and it was on the line and, and it stirred me up to think about prayer. Right? And the value and the high value we should have on prayer. Because God can change things, right? God, he wants to be a part of every part of our lives and he wants us to, to rely on him. He wants to have our focus and he wants every part of who we are to be in tune with what he's doing. Because he started the whole thing in the first place, right? (laughs) And he's got a plan. And the thought came to me and it was just this thought, and I think I might have posted on Facebook where there was, actually I did make a Facebook post and then underneath my hashtag, everybody know what hashtag is when you put a little hashtag and it's kind of like, the theme, you know, anyway. The hashtag was prayer changes things, hashtag the engine room, right? Hashtag I saw that. Yeah, hashtag I saw that. Um, so the engine room is the place of prayer. Is really, you know, when you think of power, you think of an engine, right? Or you think of something that creates power, right? So the, the, the post was, if you don't need power, well, then you don't need prayer. That's the post, right? And I put underneath that, you can turn up late for church, you can sit in the back row and hardly participate, and it won't actually matter if you don't need power. You can do whatever you want if you don't need power. But if you need power, if you need God, if you need the presence of God, if you need something to change, complacency won't cut it. Right? That was my post because I got so stirred up and it it actually brought me back to thinking, well, what is it that actually brings us to a point of change? How do we get to a place where God, who's capable of doing everything, can fix stuff and change lives and, and see transformation that he longs for? I mean... We get sometimes so complacent that we forget that God actually wants it. We stop praying because we think it's, well, you know, God doesn't turn up. He does, God, who's God, you know, God, gee. But the reality is that it's his desire in the first place. It was his desire to have a relationship with us. It was his desire that we ought to live this life of abundance. It's his desire that we're free. It's his desire. He sent Jesus to what? set the captive free, to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to raise the dead, 
to preach the kingdom of God, to preach hope and preach life and to release the power of God upon the earth, yeah? So that's God's desire. That was God's initiative. It wasn't ours. He wasn't responding to man's prayer and he's going, well, well, gee, they're praying a lot about this. I might as well get onto it. It was his desire in the first place. Yet, he somehow has created this thing called prayer where he invites us to invite him. Isn't that interesting? He wants us to invite him. So he says, look, I've got a big fat wallet full of cash. I've got a stash of body parts up here. I've got all the things you could possibly want for this life and more. Come and ask me for it. But don't come and ask me for it if you don't believe that I'm a good father who wants to give. See, that's the trick. That's the thing, right? So anyway, look, prayer changes things. Or the prayer that changes things is the theme. The prayer that changes things. And the reason why I specifically put the word that in there is because prayer doesn't always change things. Because you can pray with the wrong motives and get see no result. You can, have you ever prayed and you feel like you're hitting the ceiling with your prayers and they're just bouncing back at you? Because we don't know how to pray. You know that the disciples, they, they leaned into Jesus after they've been hanging out with him for a while and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. These guys have been brought up in the Jewish faith. They'd had their 13-year-old rabbinical thingamabob, whatever you call it. You know what they call that thing? Bar Mitzvah. They'd had the whole thing. They'd been going to Sabbath church, synagogue, since they were kids. They'd been listening to the priests. They'd listened to the word of God, you know. They, they were there. They knew the stuff. But once they started hanging out with Jesus, they suddenly realized, gosh, we don't know much. Ever had that experience where you just, you think you know a whole bunch. And then you hang out with someone who really knows something. And you go, oh, golly gee, I don't know so much after all, right? That was like me when I went to Bible college. I grew up in the church and I thought I knew a lot. I was a pretty arrogant young fella. If you knew me back when I was a young bloke, I was like on fire for Jesus. Like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you some stories about the things that I used to do. But I was so, I'd been brought up in the church and I thought my dad was a pastor and I should know stuff, right? So I go to Bible college and I thought, yeah. No worries, love. <laughs> didn't take long before I thought I didn't know anything. Right? And so the disciples hanging out with Jesus suddenly realised we don't know much about prayer because when he prays, stuff happens. And his life is so full of amazing stuff, well, we've got to learn to pray like him. Right? And so what I want to do today is the three things. I want us to... Because I really feel we need to get back to understanding what it is that changes things. Because we, we need change in the world. We need change in our families. We need change in our community. We need transformation, right? We need to see the people who are dying coming back to the Lord. We need to see those people who have been hurt by church healed. We need to see those people who have been on the wrong end of a whole bunch of nasty stuff from the enemy, set free, right? But there's one way to do it, and there's another way that we often try to do it that doesn't work. But the, one that, the way that will we'll bring about kingdom results, God's results, is the way of prayer. 
And I just felt like God wanted us to be reminded of that again. So I'm going to look at, first of all, the life of Jesus. I'm going to look at the life of the early church. And then I'll look at a few incidents from the church from that time on and some from my own life. Is that cool? Yeah. So I just, just see if you can, um, I'll tell a few stories tonight and just share a few passages of scripture and see whether you can capture that God's heart for prayer again. Yeah? So Jesus is my greatest example of prayer and should be all of ours, right? Most of us, if we've been around church for a while, we probably know that prayer ought to be up here, yeah? In our experience, but oftentimes it's kind of down here. And sometimes it's because, like the early disciples, we don't really know how. And we've tried it and it hasn't worked, so uh, let's just... Let's just go to church, let's put a tithe in the offering or something like that. And we think that's kind of going to be enough, and, but we're not seeing breakthrough. So we've got to go back to Jesus, right? So here's a few passages that describe Jesus' heart for prayer, right? So Mark 6, 46 says, And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Right? It's just a simple verse. But here's the thing about Jesus, and you'll find it throughout his whole life was he would find himself going away by himself to pray often and he would go to a place a specific place he had a place his favorite place of prayer does anyone know what his favorite place of prayer was the mountain anyone know what the mountain was called yeah the mount of olives mount olivet mount olivet the mount of olives in fact the night that he was going to um, be crucified, that's where he went. Remember that story? He went to the Mount of Olives to pray. And it was like amongst the olive trees. And there's something prophetic about that, right? Because olives being um, symbol of, of oil and oil being symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? And so he'd go to the Mount where the olive trees were. And it was all symbolic, but it, it just meant something. And it was a high place, yeah? Luke 6, 12 says, In those days he went out in the, to the mountain and prayed, and all night he continued to pray to God. All night. I mean, wow. Like, I get tired sometimes after five minutes of prayer. And Jesus goes in for an all-nighter regularly, right? Wow. Luke 5, verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Right? That's just another, another verse there. Um, Luke 21, 37. And in the daytime he went out teaching and in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed in the mountain called Olivet. Right? So in the daytime he was out preaching and teaching, doing all the Jesus things. At the night he'd go into the mountain and do all the Son of God things. <laughs> Hanging out with his daddy on the mountain. Right? And then, of course, that was the place where he was um, eventually betrayed by Judas, right, on the mount. But he was up there praying. Do you remember what happened? He called a prayer meeting with the guys. Come on, guys, let's go and pray. And they, they, couldn't, hack it. they couldn't hack it. They didn't have a concept of prayer strong enough to keep them going through the night. It just hadn't dawned on them yet that this was important. They fell asleep. Ever fallen asleep in a prayer meeting? Yes, always. I have. I know you have. You know, that was actually... 
You were snoring. <laughs> no, you weren't snoring. She doesn't snore. I was just joking. But she kind of looked like she was out. I'm telling you now. Like it was, she just, I'm just saying, my wife looked like she was out. Oh, whoop. She might not have been snoring. But anyway. All right. So that's the glory of God. Yes, of course. <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. So we're just coming to this point where the disciples, who hadn't yet quite got it, but then something shifted, right? Yeah? Do you know what shifted? Jesus, when he got resurrected, it was the miracle of all miracles, right? Because they'd seen him die and they saw him back alive again and they're like, whoa, this is just amazing. Like suddenly the penny's starting to drop, yeah? And Jesus says, and gives them the great commission. Remember that where he says, go into all the world, make disciples. Big commission, big calling on their lives. But the key was, he said, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power. Yeah, you remember that? So what did they do? Well, they went fishing for the next 10 days and they thought, we'll just turn up on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit will come. No. They actually got a revelation that they had to start praying. All-nighters. In the upper room, right? So Acts 1, verse 12. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. Obviously Judas Iscariot wasn't with them anymore. Remember, because he, after he turned Jesus over, he went and committed suicide, which was, you know, tragic, but it's what happened. Okay, so these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So this is a group of them. So it's all the guys, it's all the girls, it's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers, all in this room. And they're praying, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. So they got a revelation that they needed to pray. Then Acts 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord. Do you know what that means? They were together, not just in the same room, but they were focused on the same thing. They were in one accord. They all wanted... The Holy Spirit to come. Because Jesus had said it, they'd heard him say it, and they were like, focus, yeah? So the interesting thing about that statement is that when you're praying, it's like to be focused on the same thing together draws the attention of God, right? Wow, I think that's powerful. And they were obviously in one place. Suddenly there came like a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and then there appeared on them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, to me, that's like the birth of the church, yeah? And it came out of a prayer meeting. It came out of prayer. It came out of this desire to seek God. It didn't come out of a wild preaching episode. It didn't come out of an amazing worship service. Right? It came out of a prayer meeting. That should speak to us. The church has been so focused on its preaching and from its worship and you know, making sure that you've got the lights right and all the stuff. 
But the power comes through prayer. All the other stuff is probably important, or at least a little bit important. You know, I've got some lights. That's not important. It wouldn't matter whether we had lights or not. It wouldn't matter if I didn't even have a guitar. If we just sat here and just prayed and sang songs to God, would whatever come, it'd be good enough. It'd be, the condition would be, are we in one accord? Are we doing it together or are we just, you know, hey, I'm just thinking about footy or the roast dinner or the, you know. But if we come together as one, wow, powerful, right? So that's, that's where it kind of began, but it kind of went on from there in a fairly powerful way. It says in Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to it. Who's the they? Now, by this stage, there's like thousands of them. Not just a handful of people. But suddenly, out of this incredible prayer meeting, comes thousands of people getting saved. The Holy Spirit fell. Peter got up and preached, so the preaching was obviously important. But preaching's of no value if the power of God's not there. It's just a gift. You know? Now, I can be a gifted preacher, but not preach with any kind of power and see no effect whatsoever if the Holy Spirit doesn't invade whatever I'm doing. I can be trained by the best. I can be a good musician. I can be a singer eloquent singer and just sing some nice songs but it might have no impact or I could be a rusty old haven't played for years with a croaky voice but the Holy Spirit can be on it and suddenly something happens right so it doesn't matter you might not be a very gifted person in terms of your practical ability but if the Holy Spirit falls on what you're doing that my friends is going to come out of not out of practice although that's important It's going to come out of the prayer room. It'll come out of prayer. If you want to see change, if you want to see impact, it's not going to come from practice, although that is important. Don't get me wrong. I've practiced a lot. But if I don't submit myself to the Holy Ghost, wow. All right, do you remember Peter when he was in prison? Right? And there was that moment when um, the church suddenly thought, you know, we should pray for Peter. Right? So Acts 12 verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him by the church. Now, did you know that they were praying for him to get out of prison? But when he got out of prison, miraculously, they were shocked. Have you ever been surprised by God when he actually answers your prayer? Have you ever had that experience? I have. You go, whoa, what just happened? You prayed for it, didn't you? Yeah, but I didn't expect that, you know. Anyway, so this is exactly what happened. So Peter gets, an angel comes and releases him out of prison. Actually walks him past the guards and the guards don't see him. Like the the whole thing, the doors just miraculously open. And Peter thought he was in a dream, right? You ever been in a dream where you think, you're not sure whether it's real? It's It's so vivid that you're not sure whether it's a dream or it's real. Sometimes they can be really scary too, right? But on this occasion, he was having this incredible dream. He thought it was a dream anyway, but it wasn't. It actually happened because he got out there and the angel said, off you go, you know. He's like, oh, I'm not in prison anymore. Oh, So here's that we pick it up in verse 12 of 
Acts chapter 12, so 12, 12. When he realized that he was out of prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together to pray. What were they praying for? That he would get out of prison, <laughs> right? And when he knocked on the door at the gateway, the servant girl Rhoda came and answered. She recognized his voice, and in her joy, she did not open the gate. She ran back and told everybody. So she left him out there, right? And went back to tell everybody that Peter's turned up, whom they were praying for. Verse 15. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting, no, it was him. And they kept on saying, nah, it must be his angel. Now that could be a whole other sermon, right? It must be his angel, right? They were used to having angels turning up, right? Must be his angel. No, it wasn't his angel, it's actually Peter. But Peter continued knocking, verse 16, and they opened and they saw him and they were amazed. Now, when it says they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed, it was kind of like, ah, oh, Peter's here, yeah! And Peter's like, shh, 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 I just got out of prison, shush! You waken the neighbours, they'll know, they'll come and get me, right? Well, that's kind of what happened. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, <laughs> he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to the brothers James and the others. And then he departed and went to another place. Peter got out of prison. Why? Because of a prayer meeting. Because God decided to respond to their prayers. You know how many other people were thrown in prison, were eaten by lions, were cut in two, and that sort of thing. And here we have a situation where the, prayer, the church just got together and prayed earnestly, and a miracle took place, right? Now, I think of that situation, I think, wow. Like, what, what is it about prayer that we don't get when you read stories like that? I was, um, I was in, where was I? Uh, Nairobi in Kenya. I was doing ministry in a slum. That's biggest, one of the biggest slums in the world. 1.5 million people in slum conditions. I was there for five weeks. And I was with a few pastors. And um, as we were sitting around one time having a bit of lunch, there was a knock on the door and a lady came in, probably, I don't know, maybe middle-aged lady came in. And... Um, they talked for a little bit about at the door and the, and the pastor said, yeah, come in. And, and she said, I need to see the man of God. Well, apparently I was the man of God, right? The Masungu, the white fella, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, what's up? And she tells me that she's got a 19-year-old son who's been thrown into a mental asylum, right? In Nairobi, in the slum. Now, if you can imagine, a mental asylum in a slum is going to be a whole lot worse than you would in Australia, right? So you get put in a, in a, in a psychiatric home here, um, it's reasonably comfortable. In a slum, where you get put in a place like that, it's like they close the door and throw you in and that's it. You fend for yourself. Well, he had, she said he's out of his mind and they had to, like, they had to take him away. So we sat and we, I just processed with her for a little bit because I felt like God was on it, wanted to do something, obviously. And I asked, asked her a few questions and found out that around about the time that he started to get sick, um, 
she had got remarried and brought this guy into the house who was a very violent man. And so he obviously brought his demons with him. Um, and so she, this kid, at the time was only 14, so it's five years earlier, um, was severely impacted by that and ended up um, out of his mind five years later or in the process of deterioration to the point where they locked him away. So I just led her through some simple prayers, just, you know, um, asking the Lord for, to forgive her for bringing this guy into the house and, you know, and that sort of thing. And then, then we got the pastor again. We all prayed. We had a prayer meeting, right? We just prayed for this kid. Well, after we got praying and, you know, we were cutting things off and just believing God for stuff and going after it. After we prayed, I sent her away and said, look, let us know, because I was going to be there for a few more weeks. Let us know if, if you find out anything. And she said, look, I'll go. and I haven't seen him for a while because he's been locked away, but I'll go and see what I can find out. Well, a week later, she comes back and says, three days after that, that prayer meeting, she was allowed to go down and, and find him, and she found him in his right mind. Yes. And, and so she was able to bring him to the people and present him to them and say, look, I want you to assess my son. He's in his right mind. And they said that they would release him within a week. So she came back to report that he was in his right mind. He would be released a week later. That came out of a prayer meeting. That came out of prayer. Right? Amazing, right? Um, and there was this other time I was pastoring a church on the Mornington Peninsula in, in Victoria um, back in the 90s. And one of the guys in our church, his wife, who didn't come to church, um, had attempted suicide. And, um, and she had been put into the west wing of this particular hospital, Mornington Hospital, which they say, which I was told, people who go in there never get out. It was the psychiatric part. And once you get put in there, that's it. You're on drugs and you'll never recover. And that's the, it was the worst place. And for some reason, she was, you know, so I took one of my elders, one of the female elders in my group, and I thought, I need a female. And she and, she and I had done some training in spiritual warfare together. And so we thought, let's go down to the hospital and see if we can find her. And, and pray for her. Well, it's not like the Mathare slum. You can actually get in and sit at a table and have a con conversation. But we sat down with this lady, and for the first half of the conversation, she was talking about herself in the third person. So she'd be saying, when she, instead of saying, I did this and I did that, she'd say, she did this and she would do that and she likes this. And you know, She was talking about herself like that, right? And um, I can't tell you the whole details, it just would take too long, but I can tell you that over a period of about 40 minutes, we just gradually just prayed through some things with her. First of all, whilst she was praying in the third person with us, or agreeing to it in the third person, oh yes, you can pray for her, you know, and things like that. But halfway through, suddenly she switched. She started talking about herself in the first person again. And I was like, wow. And I, I, I told her, I said, do you know that you're actually talking about yourself in the first person? And my elder friend just said, yeah, she is. And so we just saw something just shifted. And because we, you know, done a whole bunch of praying over her, with her, over her. <laughs> um, whatever we could do so it didn't gather too much attention from all the people in the, in the hospital. 
And um, yeah, the following Sunday, she was in church testifying. She was out. She was released. And she came to church and gave testimony, gave her life to Christ. Yes. Amazing, right? That came out of a prayer meeting. Um, but you know what? The church, by and large, um, has probably dropped, I would say, dropped the ball when it comes to prayer. Um, there were times when prayer was such a powerful part of the church. And there are churches today where the prayer is still a very powerful part. Um, I remember going to a church called Mount Annan Christian Life Centre back in, uh, in the southern part of Sydney, back in the late 90s. Um, I had a period of time for about three years where I wasn't pastoring and I was working for Wesley Mission. I was working in drug and alcohol rehab with a bunch of guys who had been out on the street and trying to help them recover and so on. And so I found this church... Um, as I was driving past one day, I just saw the big sign and the Holy Spirit just drew me in there. I didn't know anything about it. And I went there for a meeting and I thought, wow, the Holy Ghost is here. That was, they were in the river. Like seriously, people, the presence of God was so strong. And You walk in, the power of God was present. I was like, wow. And so I went back to where I was doing the ministry and the guy said, yeah, we know about this church. <clears throat> we sometimes take the guys up there, you know. I said, oh, well, next time you go, I want to come with you, right? So I went with the guys when, when they jumped on the bus. Because on Sundays, I, I was often going to my own little church. But I thought, I'm going to go with them on Sunday nights. So I started going with these guys Sunday nights and started fellowshipping up there and then started going to their, doing some training with them and stuff like that. And then I discovered that they have a prayer meeting, pre-service prayer meeting before church every Sunday evening, every Sunday morning and evening. So I thought I'd go into this prayer meeting and see what it's like. Wow. Blew my, blew my, blew my shoes off. That's what it did. No. So the reason why I don't have shoes on tonight is because um, the, the, the place felt like holy ground earlier before the service started. And I think Marianne took her shoes off as well. And, uh, and we just, yeah, so I still don't have my shoes on. Anyway, so I went into this prayer meeting and it was in the upper room, of course, it's a big church, right? So the prayer room was bigger than this room, right? And it was packed. There was hundreds of people in there, like literally jam-packed in. And they're all like, it was a Pentecostal prayer meeting, right? You know, shoes off, all the shoes at the door piled up in a pile. And they're like, and they're walking around, they're holy ghosting, and they're everything, and, and they're calling out fire, and they're asking God for things. But, you know, every single meeting at that place, people would get saved, People would get healed. People would fall down in the presence of God. The power of God was so strong in those days. But it came out of not out. They had amazing worship. They had amazing preaching. But it came out of the prayer room. Because I know that. Because when I visited there 10 years later, the worship was amazing. The preaching was amazing. But the presence of God wasn't there. I think, why is that? No prayer meeting anymore. Right? They stopped the prayer meeting. Because the new pastor came in. Didn't have the high value for prayer. And it gradually drifted away. The presence of God wasn't there. No one's fallen out in the Holy Ghost. They're just having a really nice meeting. They've got smoke machines on the stage. And they've got all the big band stuff going on. But unfortunately, um, I would say that what they were in, the river... And 
dried up or moved elsewhere. The river's gone, gone somewhere else, right? And that's the sad part for a lot of churches, that it's like that. When I finally left Churches of Christ, which I pastored for for 20 years, and went looking for a Holy Ghost church because I was baptised in the Spirit when I was young, and I went looking, I couldn't find churches that were moving in the Holy Ghost. I'd heard about it. And Mount Annan was one of the only ones. But back then, I wasn't able to go to a, a, a church like that because my family wouldn't, wouldn't go with me. <laughs> so I had to wait. But it was a long way, but I finally got there. So here's a couple of quotes. Um, there's a guy named George Barner who'd done a bunch of surveys back in the day, and he'd survey pastors to find out where they were at. Um, he surveyed several hundred senior pastors of large churches uh, to determine what their top three priorities of ministry were. Discipleship and spiritual development ranked the highest. Um, the second highest was evangelism and outreach, and the third highest was preaching. Um, only 3% of the pastors had prayer in their top three. Right? That says something about the church, doesn't it? That's why we see a powerless church. Um, Pastor James Banks, who's from, who wrote about modern Christian church, he said, there's no greater need in the church today than for Christians to recapture the lost art of praying together. Yes. Amen. You know? We, we like to be private about our spirituality. Well, that's the way church has become, isn't it? And so we get taught to pray alone. Yeah. Go into our closet and pray. And the Bible says that, but it's different. He, it's, it, when Jesus said that, he was talking about showing off. Right? He was identifying a problem. Don't, don't put yourself on a pedestal and go around showing off, strutting your stuff. Yeah. Look how spiritual I am. Go into your closet and pray to your father who's... You know, in secret place. But let me tell you what. They met in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and for all the days preceding that, praying together. And they weren't worried because they were of one accord. Who was being lifted up? Jesus. Yeah. Not themselves. Yeah. And that's the point Jesus was making. It's not about lifting yourself up. It's about lifting him up. It's about having our focus in the right place. Amen? And so, I just feel that if we as the church, don't get back to a place where we understand that, we're not going to see the change. We're not going to see the power of God. If we allow ourselves to continue to be complacent, we won't see the power of God. Yeah. I told you a few moments ago that um, I started doing some stuff with Mount Annan. Well, they actually were the ones who launched me into mission work. I'd never done a mission. In 20 years of ministry, I'd never been on the mission field. I'd never been overseas to do any kind of ministry. And just out of this season in Mount Annan, they said, Paul, come with us to the Philippines. Right? I said, okay. I don't know if I can afford it. Don't worry about it. Holy Spirit will come. And the funny thing was, on the last day, the cutoff day to go, I, st I was still $750 short. Right? Now, back in 2001, that's a lot of money. Right? It is today, too, by the way, just quietly. $750 short on the very last day. And you know what happened? 
the pastor at, in the in a prayer meeting, mind you, where we were about we were about to go up on stage and be released to go overseas and be commissioned to go. In a prayer meeting out the back pre-service, the pastor who was ta- leading the team said, Paul needs prayer because he hasn't got enough money yet. And so they said, let's gather around him and pray, right? And as we did, I leant down and people started stuffing money into my hand. Do you know that I can tell you for absolute certain that as I came up, I had 730 out of the $750 in my hand and before I got on stage someone else handed me another 20 bucks so I got the full $750 to the dollar out of a prayer meeting to go on this mission trip right so I go on the mission trip and we go to the island of Mindanao which is the lowest big island in Philippines which is 98% Muslim okay and so the churches aren't big then. One of the biggest churches in the islands is AOG Church for around 300 people. And they wanted an Assemblies of God pastor to come and preach. Well, the only Assemblies of God pastor on the team was the team leader. But he knew that I was a pastor. And he says, you can go and preach. But I'm not Assemblies of God. Don't tell them that. Right? So he just said, yes, I'm sending one of our pastors. So I turned up to preach and they announced me, you know, in Tagalog, but the English guy, the guy who was doing the interpreting told them and then told me, I just told them that you're an Assemblies of God pastor. I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> well, you know, so I get up to preach and what had happened was as we're coming across from, from the mainland to Mindanao, the Lord had gave, give me a vision and wanted me to preach on this. It was a brand new sermon. I hadn't prepared it. But I got into this service, 300 people in front of me, and I started preaching this brand new sermon. Within five minutes of preaching, the, the interpreter just goes, stop, 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 stop. And he's you know, talking to them in Tagalog. And I'm thinking, I wonder what's going on. Maybe they don't like me or something. <laughs> you know? And then he looks at me and he's like got a stunned look on his face. And he says, they want me to sit down. They said, we're understanding everything he's saying. I'm preaching in English and they're hearing me in Tagalog. Like, that's a miracle, right? So he just said, they asked me to sit down because it's like we're repeating each other, right? So he sits down and I preach the rest of my sermon, not in Tagalog, mind you, because I don't know the language. And they hear me in Tagalog. And at the end, I give an altar call now, everywhere else we went in the Philippines, people would come up and they'd line up in rows, you know, get in the row, wait for the pastor, man of God, to come past and touch you on the forehead and you fall over in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. You know, it's just what they do, right? But at this church, they came rushing. Half the congregation, more than 150, rushed to the front, fell on their knees crying. And I'm like, what? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not touching nobody. I'm not touching this. That's the Holy Ghost right there, you know? I'm like, wow. Power of God, yeah? That all came out of a prayer meeting, of all things. Wow, who would have thought, right? So, all of this is just to remind us again of the power of prayer. 
and the priority that prayer should have in our lives. The prayer that changes things, right? Now, I want to give you two more stories just to finish off tonight. Yeah? So, and these are they're fairly old stories, so some of the language is a little bit old-fashioned. But see if you can hear the story in it, because these are famous stories, yeah? So, there's this guy named Deal Moody. Anyone ever heard of him? Deal Moody, back in the 1800s, was from Chicago. And um, I read his story. He got a fire in his belly to preach the gospel. He wanted to save souls. And he started working with young boys. Um, started doing some YMCA work with young fellas. And started getting kids saved. And, and he had quite a gift on his life. And it was really good. And he became well known as a great preacher. But there came a point in his life where um, he had heard that all these preachers in England that were amazing, like Spurgeon and so on. And he wanted to go over and hear them. So he's thinking, I'm just going to go over there. His ministry had sort of lapsed for a little while. I think it was after the great fires of Chicago and things were being rebuilt, right? So there was a period of time because Chicago got hit by this massive fire, right? And so he didn't have a building or nothing and didn't have a church. And he thought, I'm going to spend some time go to England and I'm going to hear some preachers over there. And then I'll come back and start my work again. Well, little did he know what would happen, right? So here's, we pick up the story. So early in the 70s of last century, that was two centuries ago now, so the 1870s, just after the fire of Chicago, Moody's new tabernacle, the church building, um, was not yet complete. So he decided to go to England and hear the great preachers over there. This, as far as he thought, was the reason for going. But God had a far greater reason. For in the land of England, an invalid had been praying for Moody to come to her church. These prayer meetings had been going on for two years. All this invalid could do, so she told herself, was pray. Pray for Moody to come. One day, two years previously to Moody's sailing to England, she found a copy of The Watchman, which was like a um, a, a book or a, a document that um, printed preachers' sermons so she could read preachers' sermons. She, re- t- she got hold of Moody's sermon and, um, and she, it says here, let me see if I can find where it says, and her heart began to burn as she read it. So she began to pray that Moody might come to their London church. Yeah? Two years of a prayer meeting which was attended by one person. Two years of a secret private prayer meeting Two years of a prayer meeting about which no notices had ever been given out. Finally, God's hour struck. The prayer meeting broke through and the gates of Pearl were opened. The answer came. Moody felt a stirring to go to London to hear the great preachers, as he supposed. But God ordained a fire, a higher purpose. That of answering the prayers and petitions of one person. After hearing Spurgeon and the great masters of the pulpit... Moody said, I was running around after men like that. I had not been speaking anywhere. So he, he really wasn't, he wasn't here to preach. He was just here to learn, yeah? One Saturday at noon, he had gone to Exeter Hall on the Strand. And someone had invited him to say something. Right? So he got up and shared the floor for just a little while. And at the close of the talk, a minister came up to him and said, would you like to preach at our church tomorrow? I wonder who, whose church that was, right? So he turned up 
the next day, and it says here, um, the hour came and the building was full. As he spoke, Moody sensed the hardness among the listeners. They seemed as though carved out of stone or ice. In other words, he was preaching, but nothing was happening, right? Now, I've been in places where you preach, and it's like, oh, my goodness, Holy Ghost, where are you? Just get me out of here, right? <laughs> Seriously, I've, been, I've, I've had experiences like that where I've been a visitor in a church, and it's like everybody's stony cold. And you're like, oh, my goodness, man. You know? Yeah, and it's like, has he finished yet? <laughs> anyway, says here that he went back in the evening for another meeting. And again, the house was filled. And when he was halfway through his sermon, the atmosphere suddenly changed. It says the cool, heavenly breeze blew across the congregation. A change marked the faces of the people. And at the close of the service, Moody, Moody not Moody, Moody gave an invitation and the entire audience indicated the desire to become Christian. Everybody in the place said, I want to become a Christian. Right? Thinking that they may have misunderstood his invitation, he asked them to stay for a meeting in the lower room, which to his glad surprise, everyone in the entire audience remained behind to seek God. The aisles were filled, the seats were taken, and then Moody realised what had occurred, a miracle by the Holy Spirit was upon them. That came out of a prayer meeting. Now, that particular prayer meeting was one person, yeah? All right. Now, listen to this one. This one started with one person, but look at what happened. So this is my last story, I think, unless the Holy Ghost wants me to share another one. <laughs> Joseph Lanfia knelt alone. He prayed for days alone in an upper room of a north, an old north Dutch church in Fulton Street in New York City, praying for a revival. Each day he would broadcast an invitation for others to join him. Right? But no one would come. But he was, de he was not deterred, for his purpose in praying for revival was for the whole nation, and he would continue. This was his ambitious request. And as an adventure that would... I'm trying to, remember, trying to read this now. Yet he prayed on. Out of his soul came this request. Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Finally, one man joined him. Finally, after months of praying, one man turned up, right? The next day, there were six people who turned up. And their voices were in unison. A long-delayed revival they were praying for of holy fervence. Then, the number jumped to 20, again to 100, all beseeching the Lord for, for floods, flood tides of glory to sweep the land. As soon as the meeting house would not hold the vast groups, Sorry, and soon the meeting house would not hold the vast groups of suppliants. Now, this is old language, right? So please forgive me. I, I haven't had the time to make it easier to understand. These prayer meetings took hold of the imagination of the city and from all ranks of life, people came to pray. A second and a third room in the same building were filled. The entrances were choked with people and hundreds. And so a report declares went away from this one-man prayer meeting, disappointed that they could not even get in. So hundreds of people were now being turned away from the prayer meeting because they couldn't even get into the prayer meeting. Started with one person, yeah? 
The meeting overflowed to the John Street Methodist Church and the lecture room was filled. Old Burton's Theatre in Chambers Street was thrown open to the midday prayers and this was also overcrowded. Then from New York, the prayer meeting leaped to Philadelphia where the celebrated James Hall prayer meeting was started and this hall was filled to overflowing. Oh, how those groups sang straight from the heart. And it goes on and says that these prayer meetings just went from place to place. They went down to the docks where people were getting saved. Thousands of people were getting saved. One of the pastors opened up his church. It says that 10,000 souls converted um, to Christ in six months under his ministry. Over in Philadelphia, more than 3,000 people a day crowded James Hall in a period of several months singing songs like Stand Up For Jesus. Back in New York, it was estimated 6,000 people attended 20 daily prayer meetings. All this started with one person who was fervently praying for revival and it just continued to grow and grow and grow. Most businesses, business houses at the noon hour closed up that the owners and the clerks, as well as the customers, might attend prayer meetings. This is what began to happen. Finney, Charles Finney, preached in New England during the winter and powerful revivals broke out from his ministry. And it continues on. Amazing stories. Sheck and I got to go to Rochester in New York where we went to the, the area and the church which Finney preached. You know, out of this prayer meeting, Finney preached and more than 100,000 people gave their life to Christ while he was there. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Isn't God good? Wow. Praise the Lord. Hey? All right, friends. Well, we're just going to... I feel like the message that I, I, I wanted to bring tonight, I've, I've brought. Yeah. And I just want to release a prayer. And I just want to ask the Holy Spirit just to stir us up. Yeah. And any word that, that has come tonight that is truly Him... If it's him, let it land in our hearts. If it's not, let it fall to the ground. Amen. So why don't we just wrap this up in prayer. So Father, we just thank you for your, your amazing grace, for your power, and for the energy that you give us to pursue prayer. And Father, I know there are times when, when we forget. And there are times when it's low on our priority list. But I pray that tonight's message would stir us again. And bring us back to a place of focus upon you. And Lord, that we would see incredible moves of God come out of the prayer that stirred in this house. May we be, as Jesus called, a house of prayer for many nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au. God bless.